Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. I hope you're having a great summer, had a great summer. I've been having a strong one here at Rockbrook. A few weeks ago we had our big serve day. We celebrated that then, uh, but we're still seeing uh, fruit from that. We got a thank you note this week that I wanted to pass on to you all. We had a group go down to Eben Ministries, uh, which is a ministry home and or a maternity home, and they wrote to us to say, we feel so blessed to have been a recipient of your community serve day. The crew was amazing and got an incredible amount of work done. Everyone in the large group was so kind and went above and beyond any expectations we had. On top of all that, I truly enjoyed the fellowship with them as well. And a few of them have been in touch since then to volunteer their time or donate materials. What a blessing your congregation has been to our ministry and such an accurate example of what the body of Christ should be. Thank you for your support and encouragement with love, Eben Ministries. Uh, so I just want to pass that on. Say, man, I just love that we're staying connected with these uh, relationships. Maybe you met them on Serve Day or met a person or organization, and we get to have an ongoing uh, relationship with them. So way to go. Of course, we're in August now. That means back to school and the season shifting. And tomorrow night, or tonight rather, we'll have our open house for students at our student service. Next week we'll have... Water Wars and Promotion Weekend, you'll hear about these things in the announcements, but I just wanted you to know that we love you so much, we love your family so much, we love your kids so much. In fact, before we enter into these next couple of weeks of back-to-school nights and curriculum and all those things, I like to just take a time out in August and pray for our students and pray for teachers and schools and faculty And so before we get to the message today, would you do that with me now? Let's just, let's bow our heads. Let's open our hands before God. Let's say, God, we come to you this morning on the outset of a new school year. And we just once again recognize our need for you. And we rejoice that our God is not far away, but you are here with us. And God, we lift up every student of every age, of grade school, middle school, high school, college, The young people in our church are so amazing. We learn so much from them. As their pastor, I pray that you would surround them with good friends who will encourage their faith. Pray that you'd give them endurance as they saddle up to do this again or another year. God, I know that these students are not going to hide the fact that they are Jesus followers, so please help them, empower them as they seek to follow you. God, we also lift up teachers, faculty, leaders in our schools, and co-ops and homes. We thank you for the amazing gift of these leaders. Can't imagine how difficult their jobs are. We ask you to give them strength and endurance as they carry their calling. God, give them a fresh wave of creativity, a fresh wave of fun, fresh wave of belief in the next generation. Help the leaders in our schools to be wise and gentle. God, you said the tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing but the mouth of the fool brings about foolishness. Gentle words are a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. So Lord, we thank you for teachers and leaders in our community whose words are a tree of life. We lift up 
uh, all the parents to you. We lift up schools to you. God, we love our schools. Help the families of Rockbrook uh, to be great partners with teachers and leaders in these schools. Lord, your word says that the Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. We ask you to keep evil from our schools. Nothing will stop us from praying for them. God, it feels like a new year almost. We look ahead wanting to grow in our faith, grow in our commitment to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and the church said, amen. All right, let's continue our series today on the armor of God. We've got another good one today. We've talked about truth. We've talked about righteousness. We've talked about peace. We get to Ephesians 6.16, which tells us in addition to all this, take up, say these four words with me, the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. As Christians, we're instructed to take up our faith, to put on faith, to grow in our faith. God says that we are saved by grace through faith. And I'll tell you the reason I want to grow in my faith is that there is a connection between God and the presence of the Holy Spirit that gives my life more meaning, more value, more fun, more fulfillment. And when you understand faith, it creates a passion for living. Before we talk about how to take up the shield of faith, I just want to take a moment and talk about why our faith might become weak at times. Maybe there's been times in your life or seasons in your life where faith has been weak. And maybe you know people who are struggling in their faith and have a weak faith right now. It can happen to anybody. It can happen at any time. Where does a weak faith come from? I put down just a few ways that our faith can things that can weaken our faith. The first one, if you're taking notes, you might write this in, is a lack of interest. Let's face it, sometimes we just don't care. We can just be apathetic toward God. And when you're apathetic toward God, you say things like, well, it just didn't work for me. It. I'm not, or I'm sure it's good for you, but it's, it's not working for me. We say that about our kids. I hear that about kids. Well, it's good for them. But what's, what's it? And there's just a lack of interest or a lack of engaging with what this actually is. And it's obvious if you don't have interest, your faith isn't going to grow. If you don't have passion, your faith isn't going to grow. Another thing that weakens our faith or can weaken our faith is uh, poor morality or lifestyle choices. The choices we make can impact our faith. When you make a bad choice and you do something that's wrong, you feel guilty, which is good. Guilt is a very good thing. Conviction is a very good thing as long as it guides us because that's what helps us. Guilt helps guide our conscience. But if you don't let that guilt drive you back to God, it gets consuming and it weighs you down. And it distracts you from living. It makes you miserable. There, there are only a couple of ways, as best as I can tell, to, to deal with guilt or to get rid of guilt in your life. One is to change. So to change the behavior or to change the thing that's making you feel guilty. Uh, in Christian terms, we would say repent or to change your mind, to turn around. The other way is not to change your behavior, but to change your belief. 
to kind of get rid of guilt, you, you either change your behavior or you change the belief. You change what I believe is right or wrong and I can suppress the guilt. Well, I just won't believe that that's wrong anymore. I won't believe that that's, that like, that God is determining right and wrong. And that can kind of work to suppress the guilt or, or make you feel better and it's not so all-consuming. Another thing that can weaken our faith is unexplainable tragedy. There are so many tragedies that do not make sense in our minds, in our finite minds. They don't seem to fit with God's character. Just this week, there have been tragedies in the news where it's like, how, how in the world do you explain that to that family? How do, you, how do you explain with that? How do you live with that? And for some people, the inability to figure out why a good God would allow evil things to happen to innocent people causes them to withdraw their trust from God, from a God that they can't understand. And when they do that, their faith weakens. And my faith is bolstered today as I look around this room and see uh, some of you who I know the health challenges you're facing or I know what you're facing in life or the grief that you're carrying, the challenge, the tragedy that you're going through in your life in these very days and yet you're still here and you want to be strengthened in your faith. You don't understand the tra tragedy. It's unexplainable, but you're not going to let it tear your faith away. You're not going to let it take more than it's already taken. But another way our faith can become weak is this, misunderstanding of biblical faith. So some have this idea that faith is kind of a force, and if I have enough faith, I can kind of persuade God into doing something that he was not planning on doing. And you could go home today and turn on the television or go online and watch church services from around the country that say if you have enough faith that God will do all kinds of things that he wouldn't normally do or wouldn't ordinarily do and you could hear teaching that is very appealing and the reason it's so appealing is it puts me in charge and that's really good for ratings, that's really good for clicks, it's really good for hits and engagement but it's not biblical, I'm not in charge. It's interesting it's intriguing, but it's just not what the Bible lays out that faith is. Why? Because faith is not a formula. People think, if I figure out the formula, then I'm a person of faith. So they try different things, and they wake up in the morning, and they say a prayer, and then read their Bible, and then they notice that their prayer isn't answered the way they want it to be answered, so they say, well, maybe I need to read my Bible, then pray, then fast, and they try all these different things. If, if I said you needed to skip out of church today and kneel in the sign of a cross and repeat the prayer of Jabez 12 times, friends, some people would write that down and do it because they're looking for the formula that would crack the code to get God to say yes to their prayers. Like God is waiting in heaven and saying, there's a prayer I'll answer, but because you haven't found the formula, I haven't done it yet. No, God answers prayer according to his will. And just because you pray something doesn't mean that other people will change their will. 
and a misunderstanding of faith, what it does to people is they say, well, God just didn't say yes to my prayer. He couldn't get my parents back together. He couldn't heal my loved one's cancer. And so they withdraw their faith. They withdraw their trust in him. As you look at these four, which one do you most identify with right now? If your faith is struggling right now or faith is weak, why is this? Is there just a lack of, inch, last, lack of passion in, in your life? Is a, a poor morality choice uh, consuming you and it's pulling you away from God? Is there a tragedy that cannot be explained? Is there just a misunderstanding of what faith is? And let's unpack faith a little bit more. In Hebrews 11, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. I want to talk about this word assurance a little bit. We could say, uh, I wish, I w- let's, let's all wish that the weather is going to be much cooler tomorrow and we're going to get a little bit of rain. And we could say we all wish for that and we could uh, circle up and hold hands and say, I'm claiming it, it's going to be a little bit cooler tomorrow, we're going to have some rain. But it's just a wish. We would have no assurance, no evidence that that's going to happen tomorrow. So wishing is not faith because it cannot be assured. There's no reason to wish it. Uh, How about a different illustration? I could invite, let's say I invite Pastor Patrick to my house to watch the first Chiefs game of the season in a few weeks. And I could craft an invitation and hand it to him. I'd give one to Pastor Tom, but I'm nervous he might actually show up. So I give it to Patrick. (laughs) Just, I love you, Tom. (laughs) And after handing him the note, I can walk out of here with wishful thinking that, uh, well, I hope, I wish, he and Katie show up for uh, the Chiefs game. But would I have assurance that he will? No. Would I have confidence? Not really. It's just a wish. What would it take for me to have faith that he would show up for the Chiefs game? My wish becomes assurance when he gives me the answer and says, yes, we'll be there. We would love to come. Now, this is just an illustration. Don't don't come over for the Chiefs game. Uh, (laughs) But once he tells me that he's going to be there, I can plan on it. I can, I can prepare for it. Because faith is being assured that what has not taken place will take place. So the big question is, can I put faith in a God that I can't see? Yes, I can. Why? I can do it based on his promises. What is faith? Faith is trusting God's promises. And God has given us promises in his word. His word reveals his character and it's much stronger than any of ours because everything that he's ever promised to do, God has done. Everything that he's promised to do up until this point in history, he's accomplished and he's done. And we have faith that he's going to do certain things based on these promises. The promise of his presence, the promise of his power, the promise of salvation, the promise that he's going to guide us. On and on and on, all these promises found in his word. But apart from these promises, we can't have faith that that something's going to happen. 
We only have wishful thinking. But we know something will happen if God says it will happen. So Hebrews 11 goes on and gives all these examples of people uh, with great faith, and you would recognize their names, Moses and Noah, Rahab, Sarah, Joseph, and it talks about all these people of faith and why they are great examples of faith. And the thing it keeps correlating is they're great examples of faith because they trusted God's promises. Noah spent years building an ark. Why? Because God promised to flood the earth and promised him rain. It wasn't like Noah and his family got together and initiated this. They didn't say, uh, hey, God should start the human race over uh, uh, now that it's fallen on a fallen planet. And they didn't brainstorm ideas of ways he should do that and then make God fulfill that. No, God came to them and promised something and Noah responded. Hebrews uh, 11, 7 says, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God. God didn't obey Noah. Noah didn't build an ark because he thought he could faith God into some rain. Noah was a man of faith because he responded to God's promises. That's what the whole Hebrews 11 chapter is about. They believed that God would do what he said he would do. In verse 11, it says that Abraham and Sarah believed that God would keep his promise. And so they were great people of faith. Do you know why Abraham left his home? It's because God promised new land. Abraham did not say, let's move and have faith that God will provide a new land. No, when God initiated a promise, it was followed by faith. When Gideon charged into an enemy camp, outmanned, outgunned, why did he do that? It's because God promised a victory. Why did Moses go back to Egypt after being chased out? It's, or why, did, why, did not, why didn't he go back to Egypt after being chased out? It's because God promised that he would deliver Israel through him. Why did Joshua march around Jericho, even though that seems strange? It's because God promised victory. I love this same verse, 11.11, in the NIV. It says, she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Considered him faithful. I'd love that to be said about me. I considered God faithful. Faith is trusting God's promise. I put a, just a little bit of a longer definition in your notes here. The faith is basing my life on the truth that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he's promised to do. Faith is basing my life on the truth that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he's promised to do. And unlike having faith and trying to tap into a force and change God's mind or trying to figure out a formula that makes me in charge, because that kind of faith puts me in charge, Biblical faith makes me unincharge. That's what faith is. That's what worship is. It's that I am unincharge, but I'm surrendering my life to the King of Kings, to a God who is in charge. And I'm trusting the one who is in charge. I'm putting him in the driver's seat. I'm submitting my life to him. I'm living as a living sacrifice to him. Now, how in the world is that kind of faith going to protect me number two how does it protect me the shield of faith how does it help me 
Ephesians 6, 16, again, our, our launching verse today, says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. How does faith protect me? Write, write this word into your notes. Faith extinguishes Satan's flaming darts. So one of the ways in battle in that day is they would dip these darts or these arrows into some kind of flammable liquid or tar or something and, uh, and then they would shoot that flaming arrow out into uh, the oncoming army or people. And you're out there with all this brush around you and it would be lighting that on fire. So they've, they would have these uh, wooden shields. Sometimes they would take shields and lock them together. Sometimes they would have these wooden shields and they would try to get the darts to stick and catch all of these so they can extinguish them. But they were made in such a way that they would interlock with other people's shields. So in battle, you could have all these interlocked shields in front of you, over your head, and moving while you're shielded to, in battle toward a group of people, toward the place you were attacking. That's a good picture for us as believers. We need to interlock our faith shields together, that we're not in this alone, that we fight this battle together. And if a dart's thrown my way, someone else can help me extinguish that flaming dart. I don't have to do this alone. Because what are Satan's flaming darts? I put some in your notes here. How does he attack us? And you look at this list and, man, I, I, sometimes I'm like, I would rather go through literal flaming darts rather than this, right? Because this is tough. But the enemy plants seeds of doubt into our faith. And division doesn't work to unite us. His flaming dart is to divide us, not to get us to interlock, but to break apart. The enemy doesn't bring encouragement, he brings discouragement, discourages our faith, discourages our marriage, our family, our kids. We talked about this one already. He works in deception. He doesn't give us the truth, but he gives temptation of lies in our life. And the enemy doesn't work to focus us, to have us focused on a mission, a calling but rather to distract us. These things, doubt, division, discouragement, deception, distraction, these flaming darts, these don't come from God. So how do I take up the shield of faith to protect me from these things? Let me start today with a warning. And, and I've given a couple warnings in this, in this series. Many people I've learned have put their faith in a circumstance or a person. But what happens when the circumstance changes? It, then it changes your faith. What happens if the person falters or falls or leaves? Your faith goes with it. And a lot of people, the foundation of their faith is very wobbly because it's what I would call a do-it-yourself faith. And it looks like a little bit of this theology, a little bit of this philosophy, a little bit of my experience kind of all boxed up together. And the problem is when I have a do-it-yourself faith, it's gonna break down. I was trying to think of an illustration of how do I drive this point home of a do-it-yourself faith. And when I think of do-it-yourself, I think of Ikea. If you haven't been to Ikea, it's this massive furniture store. This has this pathway. Once you're in the pathway, they give you a map. You can't get out. You have to go through the whole pathway. 
And I guess there's some people who they just never get out of there. So they set up these bedroom sets in there for people to stay if they have to stay. But if you buy something at Ikea, like a couch or a cabinet or a shelf, they give it to you in a box and you've got to build it yourself. I went to a friend's house one time and he went to pull up something on his computer and his office chair was the Ikea box for his office chair that he hadn't put together yet. He was just sitting on the box at his computer. Because do-it-yourself can be frustrating. The directions don't have words. It all looks the same. One time I got a box from a furniture store and uh, I, sitting in our apartment, I open up this big box. Instructions are sitting on top. It says, step one, open box. I thought, God help the person with no initiative, right? They don't, they don't know that's there. When I go to get a sweatshirt at Walmart, they don't throw me a ball of yarn. They give me a sweatshirt, right? And that's the kind of faith that I need. I can't, I, I can't strap this thing together. I can't put this thing together. Have you ever bought furniture at Costco? At Costco, if you buy a chair, they give you a chair and you had a nice snack on the way, right? It's, it's wonderful. And that's the kind of faith that we need. Would you rather have a do-it-yourself faith that you had to put together, that's frustrating, that takes a long time, that's wobbly, that you gotta back up and start over? Or would you rather have something that's given to you by the master builder, the one who created it, the one who created earth? And if your faith is going to grow, it's gotta be built on the foundation of Jesus. And many people are well-intending. And they'll say, well, I have faith because I grew up as a Christian. Or I have faith because I went to a Christian school or a Catholic school. or I, ha I have faith because I am in this kind of environment or know these kinds of people. That's not good enough. That's not strong enough. You have faith because it's true. You have faith because Jesus died for your sins. That's why you have faith. I, I put this statement in your notes. Maybe it's helpful to you. We believe because Jesus walked on this earth, claimed to be God, gave us a ton of evidence supporting his claim, died for our sin, rose from the dead, and went back to heaven in front of hundreds of witnesses. He had a public ministry of miracles and teaching and healing. He died publicly in our place on the cross. He rose from the dead, was seen by hundreds of people, proved he was God, those people investigated those claims. They told everyone what they saw. They wrote it down, investigated it. Many of them even died for their belief and they died for what they saw. And I put it this way to you to just kind of build your confidence in it because other religions, false religions, start out with one person having a, a private dream or private realization about God and who God is. And then they start sharing that with others. And then slowly over time, more and more people believe it. But Christianity is not a made-up story that was built in momentum over time. Someone didn't dream the things about Jesus. They saw the things about Jesus. And Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension into heaven were witnessed by many, proven out to be true, and it spread like wildfire quickly because of how many people had this experience. 
God did not give us a weak belief system. He didn't give us shaky ground to stand on. And I'm full of faith today because of the truth of it. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, talking about how we will rise and our life is eternal. Our bodies will rise and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Now, if all Jesus did was die on the cross for my sins and prove his deity by raising from the dead, that would be enough. That would be enough for me to give my life to him, to drop my knee before him and give my life to him. But he promises even so much more. Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So what is it? This is the question and, and how to put on this faith, how to take, on this, take up this faith, is what are you holding firmly to? And I want to encourage you to evaluate the foundation of your faith. What are you clinging to? What if, it cha- if, if something changed, would that rock your faith? Are you putting too much faith in that thing? So how do you take up the shield of faith? Well, it's not by focusing on my faithfulness. You take up the shield of faith by focusing on God's faithfulness. How faithful he is to you. And that fills you with faith. The faithfulness of his promises. The faithfulness of his patience. The faithfulness of his love. That's what fills you with faith. Let's read these next two verses on your outline together. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. And 2 Thessalonians 3.3 The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. People ask, well, what can I expect from God? And by the way, that's a good question to ask. Whether you've been walking with God for a while or you're a a new believer, what can I expect of God? You can expect from God everything he has promised. That's what you can expect of God. But a lot of us get disappointed and angry at God. We expect him to do things that he never promised to do. I've experienced this so many times in my life. I've seen it happen so many times. It, It would be like, Let's say a 75-pound man is watching football, and he's feeling like, I want to be a linebacker for the Chiefs next year. So next year, he goes and he he goes to training camp, but then he gets all disappointed. He says, I have faith in God that I'm going to be a linebacker for this team. But then he, he goes out and he says, God, you let me down. I didn't make the team. And God says, no, I didn't let you down. I never promised that. As a matter of fact, he might say, you're not even living the way I created you to live. I created you to be a jockey. I don't know, but uh, I just had to bring that full circle, I guess. But let me put it this way. It's important to not let your faith be destroyed by something that God has not promised. I'll say that again. Don't let your faith be destroyed by something God has not promised. And God has not promised to keep bad things from happening to us. God's not promised to heal 
every illness that we go through. Sometimes he does that. But God has not promised to reverse the consequences of every sin and mistake that we've made. Sometimes he does. God says, when I say no, you have to trust that I am who I say I am. Trust that I love you. Trust that I'm in control. Friend, God loves you too much to say yes to all of your prayers. God loves you too much to say yes to all of your prayers. And the ultimate expression of faith is to trust that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he's promised to do. And then pray like Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, your will be done. Just imagine with me, just kind of do a little thought experiment with me today, that the night before Jesus was crucified, uh, he's out praying like many of us would pray and he's saying, God, please don't make me go through this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to take this cup of suffering. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to be beaten and whipped and scourged and hang naked on a cross and die suffocating and tortured and have a, a thorn struck through or a spear struck through my side. And, but thy will be done. Your will be done. What if as he's praying, God allowed Jesus to talk him out of dying on the cross for our sins and forsaking Jesus? What if God said, well, Jesus, you have perfect faith and you have so much faith but I have, that I have no choice but to change my mind and go ahead, live like you want to live. Thankfully, God did not do that. And God said, my son, because you have perfect faith, we're going to go through this and we're going to get through this. And no amount of faith is going to change his mind in that moment because God is in control. And so I search the scriptures and I get excited because you know what God has promised? God has promised to guide me. God has promised to fill me, to love us, to save us to fill us with his presence, to forgive us, to strengthen us, to know us by name, to not let temptation get beyond what we can bear, to continue working in us, to save a place with him in eternity, to give us peace of mind in any circumstance, to give us faith through any circumstance, to never leave us. The list goes on and on and on. Friend, there are so many things that we cling to in life that are not a faithful friend. Alcohol is not a faithful friend. It will let you down. Drugs are not a faithful friend. They'll let you down. Money is not a faithful friend. It will let you down. The list goes on and on and on. But God will never let you down. And he will be faithful. And to take up the shield of faith, we focus on his faithfulness. I'll close today with Philippians 1.6. It says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Would you pray with me, please? As we pray, I'm not sure where you stand with God today. I'm going to give you the opportunity to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've prayed a prayer as a child and uh, you're not sure where you stand with all that. We've all done that. Maybe you pray a prayer over and over again because you're putting your faith in the prayer, not in God. 
It's who you're trusting that makes all the difference. And so today in prayer and worship, we have the opportunity to put our faith as much as we know how, our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And there's a promise that if we do that, we'll receive the gift of eternal life, that we'll spend eternity with Him. And we get this power to live today. And so just in the silence of your heart and mind, maybe you turn to God in a way that you never have before. And you just tell Him, God, I need a Savior. What I can do is not enough. My best is not enough. I need forgiveness of my sins. I believe that Jesus came to be my Savior. Lord, my best is not good enough because I'm not fully alive. And I need you to bring me to life. And so right now I place all my faith in Jesus' life, in his work, in his death on the cross, his payment for my sin, the eternal life that he gives through the resurrection through his resurrection. God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for being willing to give me grace, for loving me, for accepting me into your family. If you're here today and you're a believer, maybe you've been a believer for a long time and interest is waning, passion is waning, you've taken some hits, there's been some things in your life that you thought God would do and he hasn't done. Just turn to him today. Say, God, may my, build my faith as I trust your promises. I want to learn more about your promises, your character, how they can impact my life. Tell him, God, I'm going through a storm and I need the faith to get through it. God, we thank you for another day to be alive, to celebrate life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.